Salam and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host Salim Qasim, and on this week's episode, I'm joined by Khuram Aga from Aga's Invest, and we're talking about money. Um, we're talking about financial literacy, how people spend and invest their money, um, and essentially the whole kind of financial life cycle, as as Khuram puts it in the conversation. Um, and and also, I guess off the back of that, where he came up with the idea for Aga's Invest and what service it offers and provides for the muslim community um we're at an interesting time i think generally where technology and finance um, are meeting in this world of fintech and now we're seeing more and more muslims entering this space and more solutions for muslims who are looking at halal ethical financial solutions for themselves and their families um, so without further ado here's my conversation with Koram. salam Koram. waikum salam salim how are you Good, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us on uh, the podcast today. So I, I'm glad for, for your invitation and I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much. Um, so in terms of the conversation we wanted to have today, I think um, for me at least, it's, it's important that we spend a bit of time talking about uh, money um, quite broadly. And I think, you know, we had, a, we had a call a few weeks ago and we were discussing, you know, what we wanted to talk about and whatever else. And I feel for me, understanding and, and mulling over our relationship with money as Muslims um, is, is something that I want to kind of, I want to do today and, and, and have that conversation with you. And, and also, I guess, understand your own journey um, with regards to how you kind of went through that um, struggle and, and dilemma in your own head, I guess, growing up and then where that led you to eventually. But um, I think initially, just generally speaking, the notion of money. My own thoughts on it are that when we look at it from a Muslim lens, um, often there is this uh, perception, I guess, that chasing money is bad. Money can lead to a lot of negative things, which I, I, I firmly believe to be true, I think. Um, and you know, looking at social media and influencers and, and that whole space, it's all very much about materialism and, and all of that. But then we also have in Islamic tradition and heritage, the wife of um, Prophet Muhammad, uh, Sayyidah Khadija, who fundamentally was an entrepreneur and a very successful entrepreneur, and Islam wouldn't be where, where it is today without her financing and backing the, the movement, so to speak, early on. Um, so I guess the first question for yourself is just, wh where do you sit on that kind of money spectrum in terms of what role it plays in life and how we should, or how do you look at that money in your own life? Yeah, it's um, the first differentiation we need to make really is between money and wealth. Sometimes people say wealth when they mean money and when they say money when they mean wealth. Mm. If you're in a, in a desert somewhere and you have a million dollars in your pocket, that's useless. So money is really useless in certain regards. Wealth, however, could be very useful. If you had a bottle of water when you were in a desert, you are a very wealthy man or, or woman. So I think the first distinction people should think about, I think about it like this is, money and wealth are different things. They are both required. Uh, they are not the same thing though. So what, what do I think about money? And you're actually right that the Prophet Muhammad his journey about self-discovery and about Islam and about Nabuwa actually started after his financial worries were taken away. He was not a very rich man growing up. 
And in fact, when he got married to Khadija, after that, he didn't have to worry about money per se. And then he was able to make this difference and this significant impact in the rest of humanity that he did. So I think money or lack thereof can significantly hamper one's life, one's ambition, one's goals in life, everything about it. So myself, I don't think money is bad. I think people have developed this fear of money. I don't think money is bad. It's what we do with money that sometimes is wrong. It's like a tool. It's like a gun. It's like television. You could do bad things with it. You could do good things with it. So I believe money as a tool, uh, it's what you do with it that's good or bad, not money per se. I'll make one more point. And it's a psychological, behavioral finance topic. Maybe we can delve into it a little bit later. But people willingly share many aspects of their life. Like I can call my friend up and he'll tell me, yeah, I had food at this Mediterranean place yesterday. And he'd tell me all about it. And he'd tell me what kind of food he ate, how, whether he liked it, what the ambience was and everything. But then if I ask him, hey, what stock did you buy yesterday? Or how much money did you save two years ago? Or what was your annual tax? People don't talk about that. Now, it's personal. I get it. It's private information. I get it. But I do feel that money has become this taboo topic. And we just don't talk about it as openly as we probably can. Why, why do you think that is? Uh, I believe because people, and something maybe you said, maybe people are ashamed of their success. People have started to associate their worldly success with the number of dollars or the digits on their bank accounts. And then they want to keep it safe because they feel people will get jealous or become envious or whatnot. So they would would rather keep all of this information in-house and not talk about it. It's interesting you you say that. I, I almost feel it's the opposite where because we're always looking and, and you know social media always comes up in these kind of conversations but because people are always looking over their shoulders at others there's this kind of perception that oh look how successful this person is look how wealthy they are and and i know you 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 separated wealth from money which i think is a very important distinction to make but you know you say look at how financially wealthy or well off this person is and we always feel our own successes our own financial gains or whatever it might be are, are not as significant as others right that like I, I I might have made some money but actually everyone else seems like they're doing amazingly and it's interesting because right now like you know there's this whole bitcoin um boom that's going on and so everybody's talking about how much money they're making and how amazing it is but it's, it's you know the, the whole I guess investing space generally is 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 not a straightforward one um and, and I think it becomes quite difficult there's something that you said um, the last time we spoke, which was about uh, decisions that we make and how every decision that we make financially um, is influenced by Islam. And I, I found that to be quite interesting. I'd never kind of seen it that way. Could you, could you kind of repeat what you said and just expand on it a little bit, please? Uh, it's actually more than just financial decisions that we make. I believe that our values, which are inherently Islamic in nature, they're guided by our principles of faith. They guide all aspects of our life, what we wear, what we eat, how we go about talking to people. Mm. Financial matters are just another aspect where we feel that the principles of Islam, the obligations that we have from our traditions, they just guide the way we treat our financial lives. So I'll give you an example of halal food. Uh, we all, you know, we can, we do our research about this particular chicken is halal and zabiha and all that before we go and eat at that restaurant. Uh, because f- food and halal aspects of it are really important for us. Financial is exactly the same way to me, yet I just don't see the same f- 
focus on financial matters as I see in many other aspects. So for example, we would argue or discuss to death about uh, the clothes we wear, the length of our beard, the length of our pants, whatever else, right? And I'm not, I'm completely staying away from any of that conversation. Just talking about that we are willing to engage in discussions about many topics in Islam, but not necessarily about how Islamic values impact our, impact our financial lives. So, so I feel, for example, many people want to do the things the right way, according to Islamic values, when it yeah. comes to their financial lives. But many of them either don't know or are not able to because there are no solutions available. So for example, I know that if I were to invest my money, I could put it under my mattress. I could buy physical gold. I actually know people who have gold nuggets and they put them in their closets for safekeeping. Do you have Again, the addresses of those people that we can share could, out yeah, with people? I yeah? <laughs> I, I do. Let, I let me know them. afterwards. I want to pay them a visit if that's okay. <laughs> sure thing. Look through yeah. their closets. <laughs> and why do they do that though, right? Because as, as we grew up, we've been told, you know, day in and day out that in order for you to become wealthy again, yeah. right? You need to buy gold, you need to buy real estate. So everybody I know here, wealthier people, you know, my age group, they are all buying real estate. They're all buying physical gold assets because they feel that there's an inherent value in it. That's great. But those are very illiquid assets. If you needed money tomorrow, you cannot dispose of your real estate that easily. You cannot probably even dispose of your gold as much as you would like. So I feel there is this lack of financial literacy when it comes to our youth, our young people, and how we are teaching our children and how they're growing up about the relationship of Muslims and money and how that's influenced by Islamic values. So it's interesting you say that because uh, that was, you know, my experience um, after getting married, in fact, was I discovered credit cards and, and we, we moved into a new place and we had to buy furniture and whatever else. And I was like, oh, yeah, just put it all on the credit card. It'll, it'll, it'll worry about it later type of thing. And um, I actually came across and, and so obviously that I had my whole kind of experience of learning about interest. And then all of a sudden I'm like paying the basic uh, rate to clear my credit card every month, but that's barely even covering the interest. And it just gets into like this whole kind of vicious cycle. Um, but I came across this charity in the UK called My Bank, that's M-Y-B-N-K. And th they do some amazing work where they actually go into schools and they teach young people about financial literacy. And what I realized when I came across them was that actually this is something that it's not even a school thing. A lot of people will go a lot of their lives, most of their lives without having much financial literacy. So they'll know what they know, you know, they'll, they'll receive a salary, for example, the tax will come out and, and do all of that kind of stuff. But like you said, when it comes to saving, um, people will often just kind of either put money into a bank account um, and sit there or, or like you said, invest in or buy physical gold and, and that's their kind of savings. But there is this need. And I think that also for me, at least leads to a lot of um, almost fear of money, right? Whereas if, if I'm living month to month and um, I'm covering my bills and, and I can save up a little bit for a holiday and that's about it, that's fine. It's an easy existence. But it's like um, the more money you have, uh, essentially, the, the, the more you have to kind of figure out in terms of how to manage it, what to do with it and all of these things. And, and for a lot of people, I think it's just more headache than it's worth. And also, as you said, there is no financial literacy offered to young people and especially i think you know in muslim communities i, I haven't seen many institutions organizations centers that organize or arrange seminars specifically talking about money and i feel a lot of the time it's very much like okay if you've made loads of money then 
now it's time to get savvy. Now it's time to think about investing in portfolios and whatever else. But if it's just like somebody that, that is month to month or only has a, a, a couple of hundred or thousand pounds spare every year kind of thing, then there's no point. Just keep, keep living that kind of uh, rat race, uh, repetitive life um, and, and, and let the guys with money worry about what to do with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting. And I was just, while you were talking, uh, you're actually right. I was thinking about, so my son's in high school. He's graduating and going to college, inshallah, in, in one year. My daughter is entering high school next year. And they are really savvy when it comes to physics. They can tell you F equals MA, and they can tell you how to balance the chemical equation. They just don't know how accounting works. They don't know how tax filing works. They don't mm -hmm. even know what taxes are, what investments are, how compounding of your returns increases over time, what interest is, and why that's bad. So financial literacy really lacks in our overall um, outlook about life. We just don't think about financial literacy. It's some sort of a, a taboo topic that we don't want to get into. And I don't know why that is, but that's something we want to fix. I'll come back to the point you mentioned, and actually your own journey, as you said, you got married and then you discovered credit cards. Credit cards are a, are a, are a disaster. When it comes to that. But the way I think about it is, there is just like our physical lives, our, we have our financial life cycle. And it starts when you are a teenager and you start to get a pocket money and you start to spend some money. Then you go into college or university and you're probably, our parents are paying off your bills, whatever it is. Then you start your first job and you're like in your early 20s. You know, your needs about financial literacy, financial management changes. At that point, you're probably thinking about you need a debit card solution because you want to do groceries, you want to pay your bills. Uh, maybe you bought something and you have to make a payment installment of your car, for example. Then you go a little bit further and now you actually have a little bit to spare. Maybe you are saving $100 or pounds a month and now you can afford to put it on the side for a rainy day or for a vacation or whatnot. So you start to think about savings. And when you start to think about saving, that's when our earlier conversation comes in. Do you buy gold or physical uh, real estate or whatever else? But then you get a little bit older and maybe hopefully, inshallah, you make more money and now you're thinking, huh, I actually have this, what I call disposable income. I don't need it for the next five, 10, 20 years. What do I do with it? And then you start to think about investment options. And maybe you want to do some long-term investments and some short-term investments. And as you grow older, you get probably now I need to start thinking about what to do with my inheritance. Like I got to set up some trusts or I need to set up some estate planning for my kids or my generations. And as life goes on at, at the end of it, honestly, and let's be real about it, then you, this, this money, this wealth passes to your next generation through estate and wills and, and all that. Now, the couple of points I want to make across this entire financial life cycle is there is need for financial literacy at each of these milestones. For example, do I know how to set my will? Do I know how to set up a trust for my kids? I don't, to be honest with you. I can, I can look it up. There are solutions out there. And even before then, do I know how to invest my money? Do I know how much opportunity cost I'm actually leaving on the table by just putting money under my mattress or in a checking account where it's not even earning interest because that's against my beliefs? We don't. So I believe, number one, financial literacy is paramount. It's obligatory upon people like me and others to provide this series of financial literacy across a person's life. Second is we need to provide solutions that align with Islamic values and Islamic principles across each of these 
milestones in life. For example, when you start to have a debit card, you need an Islamic digital bank that has better business models than just using interest. When you start to become into savings and investments, we need more investment solutions. So you can invest in equities or instruments that are halal from a Sharia compliance aspect. When you get into insurance, well, we need to have solutions for takaful so that people are able to buy insurance, life insurance, health insurance, based on Islamic principles and so on for wills and estate planning and everything. I feel this is the time where Islamic fintech or Islamic finance in general is ripe for this inflection point. We have had 70 years of Islamic finance and that's done an admirable job in setting up Islamic banks in Malaysia and all over the world. But I think this is the time where we need to disrupt this industry by creating solutions for each aspect of a financial life of a Muslim. That's why when I was earlier talking to you, my passion is what's a Muslim's relationship with money and how can we help them do that in a manner that's aligned with their faith, aligned with the causes that they support, aligned with their values. That's our mission. So, so I, I want to get on to the, the solution bit in a second, because obviously, you know, you've, you've been working in that space and, and have done some great work there. But I think before that, it would be interesting to understand a little bit of your own journey in terms of, I've, I've already told you very briefly my disaster story with credit cards. Um, <laughs> I, I, am, I am, by the way, I have resolved all of that. I found a, I found a credit card solution that um, allows 0% interest. So you, tra you, you transfer it over and then you're able to pay it off over an 18-month period and it, it, it settles the issue and there's no kind of interest that just keeps compounding, which was, a, which was a godsend. And again, like how I found out about that was through a friend because I, was just, I just happened to be um, sharing with a friend of mine who was a little bit older and more experienced in the kind of financial world um, that, like my, my current predicament situation. He was like, oh, you know, there's a, there's a credit card where you can do a balance transfer, there's 0% interest, and then you can pay it off and you're good. And, and, and that was it. That's the answer I, I, I could have done with months earlier, but I just didn't know that existed. So I, I think, you know, when it comes to this, this issue of um, literacy, there is a need, I think, at an institutional, organizational level. But like you said right at the beginning, people struggle to have conversations um, with others about money because it is a, a very um, personal thing for whatever reason. But but there is a lot to benefit from others, like with every other regard, right? Like if you're having relationship issues, you'll often talk to your friends and you'll, you'll, you'll seek counsel. I think financially, it's, it's almost the same thing, but we don't culturally for whatever reason. Um, so... Yeah, what I what I was hoping was that you could also kind of share your own experience, because um, because again, you mentioned to me the last time we spoke that when you were kind of growing up and going through this process of looking at investing, um, there were various obstacles that you overcame, and and you know you wanted and, and like you said just a short while ago, people I think are often put off by um, this whole world of investing because of uh, them wanting things to align with their own values um, and, and Islamic values, I think specifically at that, because we're talking about a Muslim audience here. And so people want to make sure that if they're investing in a company, that the company is ethical and moral and, and doesn't do anything or deal anything that is against their own personal values. And, and you know, for example, if, if that a company is not like buying and selling pork as a very basic example or an alcohol company or a gambling company. They wouldn't want to invest in these. But then I, you know, I have very limited understanding and knowledge of, of that whole space, the financial space. But I, I'm aware that you know, there are companies that will invest and deal in um, certain things and, and 
it's it's on the face of it everything looks fine but when you dig a little bit deeper you see that they have interests for example in parts of the world that you might not be happy with or whatever else and so it just becomes such a minefield that it's very off-putting and scary for people so um in terms of your own experience how did you uh, deal with that whole dilemma yeah so um the way i described the financial life cycle of a, of an individual i actually have i am going through the same same journey right so when i um a little bit about myself i actually didn't talk much about myself i'm um, i'm originally from from lahore pakistan and i went to study in uh, montreal in canada i did my computer engineering from mcgill university graduated in 2001 and then i worked for 17 years at microsoft here in seattle pacific northwest and alhamdulillah i am this has been a great career no regrets if i'm ever 23 years old again i want my career journey to go just like it did and i'm very grateful alhamdulillah for that but when i started working i came to united states i had 200 dollars in my pocket i knew i had a full time job but 200 dollars and a whole bunch of money that i needed to pay back to my own institution i mcgill university i actually didn't attend my graduation i couldn't because i hadn't paid off my student loans or my fees they were out they didn't let you well i was supposed i didn't get my diploma until i cleared my dues that was how mcgill university was back oh, wow. then and uh, but that's fine i came here i paid off my thing my my loans or my fees i got my diploma in email so i had a celebration alone in my apartment <laughs> with my diploma i never got to see it however allah taala gives us you know better solutions eventually later on in my life i went to wharton did my mba and had a great mashallah celebration there so it's all good <laughs> no worries no regrets but when i started to earn some money for the first time really in my life i opened up a bank account and the first thing i'm looking is i'm getting interest on my on my checking account very little but it's it's non zero so i go to my bank and i ask them hey can i not get interest on my bank like can you somehow flip a button and make it 0% and they look at me funny because why would you do that but i do want to do that so the solution there is so i got an account where there was no interest on my checking account so that's one way i had to write really struggle and work with and talk to banks is to see which one of you will give me an account where i won't get any 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 interest on my on my checking account that's just a personal thing right i can i'm not going to get into a discussion i'm not a scholar myself either nor do i profess to be one about whether interest and this much interest and inflation and usury i that those are But I, I, I think I think you know we we both know that there's a very wide spectrum when it comes to these things, right? So so for some people, interest is okay. For some, they consider it to be definitely haram. And, and I believe, I, yeah. I think that's that's, that's the thing that what I've observed at least is that whatever end of the spectrum people are on, um, there are still incompatibilities with the system, so to speak. Um, and, and so if you if you go down a traditional banking route or whatever. Uh, you are going to always face some sort of issue where it's something that you're not personally happy with but either you have to make a concession because this is how the system is structured yeah. or uh you have to find an alternative which is sorry to to interrupt your journey but that that's where you are at that point right that's exactly right because i if you if you study as you grow up you study you know you grew up reading some books and whatever else people have handed down to you but when you study on your own you realize that the prohibitions in our tradition against interest or against some of the derivatives involving interest are actually very severe compared to even halal food or many other aspects that are very important in our lives and i really for a decade in my life i wondered why do people not seem to care so much about interest when it is so blatantly obvious when we read the quran or hadith that this is a big deal 
it's a really big problem, yet I don't see his way out of it. So that was the first challenge I had in my own journey. Well, then a little bit later, I had this uh, financial advisor who offered to manage some of the savings that I had. That's well and good. So I said, okay, I have made a little bit saving. Why don't you manage it for me? Number one, it was supremely expensive and I didn't know it then. And I was just, uh, the guy was probably going having steak dinners at uh, Daniel's Broiler on my behalf. And I just didn't know it. Anyway, come tax time, which is April in the United States, when we, when we pay our taxes to the government, I'm looking through my 1099s uh, from, my, from this financial advisor's management firm. And I see this line item there saying bond income. What's a bond income? Why am I getting bond income? I never buy bonds. Bonds are based on interest, right? And then I look more and there's an interest income. So I'm like, what's going on over here? So then this developed this multi-year habit for me to review all my 1099s every year at tax time and see, oh, okay, so $55 from interest here, bond income this much. Oh, I have $400 that I don't want. So then I'd have to do something intentionally about it, like take that money out, give it off to charity, something just to dispose of income that I didn't want in my life. That was hard. How many people would know that this was happening to them? How many people would even know that they had to do something about it? And even if they wanted to, how do you go about finding out? So I was lost for a long period of time. And I considered myself a savvy enough person so that I could read all this, but this was still hard for me. The second problem happened. So I go to this financial advisor and I said, look, look, I don't want to invest in companies which are pork dealing or interest dealing or what you might call sin stocks, right? No pornography, no weapons or things like that. And the guy's like, well, that's not optimal portfolio for you. Like if you do that, you're leaving returns on the table. So now you're actually questioning, okay, do I want better return from my money? Or do I want to live according to my values? Because I don't want interest income. I don't want to invest in a company which deals with pornography or pork or interest. But if I don't, I leave money or potential returns on the table. Mm. So that was a very light bulb moment for me. And I was like, it can't be that an Islamic system would be disadvantageous for you. So one of the you, motivations- You mean that financially? Financially, totally financially. That if I were to leave my, lead my life according to Islamic principles and avoid this category of investments that are haram, that I would be leaving money or potential opportunity cost or return on the table. I refuse to believe that. I refuse to believe that an Islamic system is disadvantageous for you, but I do believe that we haven't created solutions that can provide us a way out of it. So, so I, I, example, I was so, sorry to cut you off, but I was just about to say, I think that's a very interesting notion because how I see it is that we live in a world that is not a, a, like we don't live in an Islamic society in the West. Right. And so as a result, the infrastructure is not set up, I guess, for optimized, let's say, Islamic solutions. So the unfortunate reality right now is that if we look at, you know, uh, sports as an example, football in the UK or soccer, as you might call it, um, we're going to stick with football for obvious reasons, um, is, is huge. Right. And the money that's generated through gambling is is astronomical. And that's what really drives the entire industry. So, so in, you know, if, if I was, let's say a, a football team owner, um, and I'm looking for sponsorship or whatever it might be, or just generally speaking, I would be financially losing out if I didn't tap into, if I said, oh, I'm not accepting any bets on my team, whatever it might be. Like no, no one is allowed to do any bets, including this. I don't know how you would do that, but, but there would be money that that's not being made as a result, right? Sponsorships, endorsements, whatever. Um, but for me, at least, I think that 
there is, as you said, there, there always is, you know, God provides for, for everybody. And I think there needs to be that kind of fortitude and trust that there are alternatives. And it's interesting, I, the reason I cut you off is because you said you were talking about solutions, right? And I think I fundamentally believe that solutions may not yet be out there, but it's something that we need to then work on and develop. Because we can't yeah. change the world, we can only change sort of our own reality and, and the opportunities that we have in front of us. So it's about then pivoting from there and seeing where we can still profit and benefit um, and, 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 you know, prosper financially as well. But sorry, carry on. Yeah. So, so first of all, there's nothing wrong with maximizing your return. There's nothing wrong with making sure that it's basically the principles of tijarat, right? It's the principles of trade. Where you buy something for price A, you want to sell it for price B, and hopefully price B is much larger than A. That's the fundamentals of trade, and that's what is in the Quran. It's, it, this is allowed for us. Now, so I, I don't see anything wrong with trying to maximize your returns based on your investments. I'll tell you two anecdotes or stories. Number one, uh, somebody, I know this professor, he's in the Europe region, wonderful brother. He, he did this research about the stock performance from 2006 January to the end of 2008. So going through before, during, and a little bit after the Great Recession from a decade ago. So he compared it with a multiple set of benchmarks and industry standards, and he had an Islamic portfolio. The Islamic portfolio beat every single benchmark that you might think of by at least 20%, the performance in this time frame. Because we don't invest in Lehman Brothers. We don't invest in financial institutions like this, insurance institutions, because they are against the principles of Islamic finance. And because we didn't, when that entire dip and crash happened, the Islamic portfolio survived and thrived and beat the benchmark by 20 odd percent. Now, obviously, I'm not going to say that every time there's a crisis, an Islamic portfolio is going to perform better. Yeah. But I am telling you that you don't have to give up potential returns just for following your values. The second story is, so I actually did this research. That's the second part of my continuing my journey. So I'm like, okay, what does everybody do? Well, they invest in the S&P 500, which are the 500 largest companies by market cap. Okay, there are 500 companies in there. How many of them would I classify as halal? So I started to do a whole bunch of research on it. There's frameworks, Mufti Taki Usmani has very detailed frameworks on it. The AOFI organization based out of the Middle East has detailed frameworks and uh, criteria that you can follow. There are companies that provide you with data feeds, some of which we are licensed with also, that tell you that of all the uh, equities and instruments that are sold in all global exchanges, which ones meet this minimum criteria of Sharia compliance based on these standards. Long story short, I actually did that analysis and I realized that 197 companies out of 500 in the S&P 500 met our standards. So 38% of our companies in the S&P 500 are Sharia compliant. But here's the beauty of this. You now just create a portfolio based on the 197 companies and compare it with the performance of the 500 companies and the 197 companies outperforms 500 no matter how long or small your time duration is. You do it for 20 years, you do it for 10 years. I've tried all those. And this outperforms your larger market by a margin. So again, past performance doesn't indicate future results. My point is, if we make the effort to invest and save for our goals in a manner that's Islamically compliant, we don't have to give up potential returns. And I think that's the first hurdle that people need to get over when they think about Islamic finance. They think Islamic finance means you have to live with the bare minimum and you have to give up potential returns and you don't have to be rich. None of that is true. 
if you follow Islamic principles and the, the things that are allowed to us, I firmly believe you can actually do better than the alternatives that are available. So, um, I guess it, it, it's probably worth now delving into uh, Agha's Invest and, and the work that you're, you're doing there. Um, so, I, so, based on your history and the journey, and I, I think it's interesting because, you know, I, it's an interesting hypothesis that you put forward. Um, I use the word interesting a lot, by the way. You can interpret it as you like. But it's, it's an interesting hypothesis that you put forward about looking at those 193-odd uh, companies versus the 500. I still, and, and, and you, you mentioned it as well, you know, I, I don't fundamentally believe that in a strictly financial sense that uh, more Sharia-compliant companies will always outperform haram ones or, or unethical ones or whatever you want to call it, right? Because in a capitalistic society... Um, you can thrive and you can do very, very well. Uh, that obviously doesn't translate to anything in terms of your akhira or anything else. It's just you, you're making more money than somebody else. And you can do that by robbing, cheating, stealing, any number of things. Um, but it, it's interesting that that's what you've observed, at least when you kind of did a, a, a data dig on, on these specific companies. And, and I'd be interested to see like the actual um, results that you're referring to, because I think that's quite, that's quite something um, in, in terms of like looking at that as an individual. But that's, again, that, that's the kind of history and background of your own experience. Um, and then from there, where did the idea come from? And, and I guess, what is Agha's Invest? Um, and, and how did that come to be? Yeah. So I, I'll make a quick note and then I'll answer your question. I don't, I'm not doing my Islamic fintech or any of this to make to give you better returns than your alternatives. I'm not advertising that, I'm not professing that. I'm just giving people a way to save money for their goals in a manner that's aligned with their values. I believe that it will do well also, but I don't that's not the main reason why I think you should do this. So mm-hmm. it's not a question of, you know, with Agas you can beat the S&P 500 by x percent. That's not yeah. why we're doing it because this is the right thing to do based on our faith, based on our principles. And then what happens happens as a part of that. So Agaz investments, the word Agaz is interesting. Everybody initially immediately gravitates, oh, your name is Khoramaga. So Agaz is just your really profoundly vain way of naming a company after yourself. I, I, did, that is... I did think that, not profoundly vain, but I did <laughs> think it was named just, okay, I, I mean, I, I'm interested to hear the story now, go on. Yeah, it's, it's, actually, it's actually not. One, my family business always has been named Akaz for a long time uh, back in Pakistan. And Akaz is a word in Urdu, which means the start, Akaz, the beginning. So I have always felt that any journey starts with a small step. There's an Akaz to every journey. And mm-hmm. that's a very, imagine that you're starting a journey and it's the Akaz of that journey. There's a lot of positivity. There's a lot of positive movement and vibe that comes with it. You're starting something, you know, you're going somewhere, there's a destination, and this is just the agaz of that. And I want to capture that positivity, that why in my life, in my life of people around me, because we can we can use some of that in our in 2020 and post-2020 world. So that's the meaning of the word agaz, the start, the beginning. Now, why did I work on this uh, or started to work on agaz? I want people to manage their financial lives according to values that are important to them, uh, according to the beliefs that they have. 
according to the causes that you support. So completely Islamically uh, compliant, but also let's take it a little bit step further because values-based investment is a little bit on top of Islamic investments also. So for example, if I care for the environment or if I care for women's rights, I have two daughters, you know, I've, I firmly believe in equality for women in many of the aspects that they do, the opportunities that they get. What if I care for equal rights? You know, Black Lives Matter. Those topics are really important for me. And I'm sure there are many other values that are important for others also. So long story, I just want people to be able to lead and manage their financial lives according to their values. Whatever we provide will always be Sharia compliant and halal. But we allow people to really create a profile that reflects who you are as a person. As a Muslim, for sure, but as a human being also. And then we can customize and create ways for you to manage your financial lives according to that set of values. So that's the larger mission, if you may, of Aghaz Investments. It is to enable people to improve their relationship with their financial lives and to manage it effectively and optimally. So we are starting with a way for people to save for their goals. Because I feel I look at my son when he starts his professional career a few years from now. I look at people who are in their early 20s. They are not interested in retirement. They're not looking for a pension plan. They're not looking for a 401k, which is when 40 years hence. But my son, my daughter, they would have a goal to buy a car. They want to get married. They want to go for a hajj. They want to maybe put a down payment on a house. We have goals in life. Now, how do you optimally save for your goals? Yeah, you could put envelopes and start putting dollars or pounds in it over time. And this is for goal A and this is for Hajj. And you take, we want to create automated solutions so you can create your goals. And then we will work with you based on a whole bunch of data analysis and automation that we have to say, hey, Salim, you want to save $15,000 for your Hajj in five years. And you're starting off with an amount of $3,000. Well, we'll tell you that we will create an investment portfolio for you and that because of that, you have to save $200 a month or 100 or whatever the number is. And that will enable you to reach your goal with confidence by that date. So we are a goals-based investment advisor. You can create an account with us. Tell us what your values are. At this point, our values are purely Islamic, halal, Sharia compliant. This, we're not going to compromise on that. But beyond that, you tell us your goals. Your goals are, as I mentioned, Hajj in 15 years or new house in seven years, whatever it might be. And then we will work with you to create investment portfolios completely touchlessly. You will not have to do much, really. And we'll create your goals. We will automatically set recurring deposits for you. We will educate you throughout the journey. Hey, your goal is on track. You are ahead of the goal. You are a little bit behind your goal. Here's how you can adjust it. So we will handhold and work with you. And believe me, our goal is that you reach your goal when you want to reach your goal. That's why we're doing this. And we're doing this in a manner which is completely Sharia compliant. You can rest easy that there is nothing in there. And we have three degrees of Sharia compliant checks that we do. And we can talk about that if interested. They remake sure that what you are investing in is Sharia compliant. And we have the power of software, power of a whole bunch of data analysis tools that keeps you on track. There, there'll be ups and downs. Sure. Happens all the time. That's why we take a long-term approach here. We customize investment portfolios for each of your goals. That's what differentiates us from any offering in the world, honestly, Alhamdulillah, where you might have five goals and five different investment portfolios, each targeted towards your goals. 
That's what we are building. We are live in the United States as of January. We're slowly expanding, but that's where we are today. So I, I, one thing I wanted to kind of talk about, and, and maybe from from your side, not necessarily the the most, well, something that you, you necessarily want to delve on, but I, I think it's quite important that when it comes to investing, um, often, because I've, I've looked at investment platforms for my own, for, my, for myself, and I, I always, you know, look around and see, and, and, and they'll often have trackers where it'll be like, okay, you know, what's the amount you want to put in? How... Uh, how much risk are you willing to take on? This is what we project. Um, but as as we know, and I think everybody knows, there's no such thing as a as a a sure thing, especially when it comes to the kind of finance world and investing and everything else. So there is risk involved in this. Generally, would that be fair to say? Hundred percent. And and how? In fact, saying it otherwise would be unethical of me. And and how how does someone? understand how, how can you like let's say i came to you just now wanting to join the platform how would you make me understand risk and and that i am taking risk on do you know what i mean because it, it's very alien as a concept so usually the more the return that you project on a particular instrument or equity or stock mm. the larger is the risk of or volatility associated with that instrument so if Tesla stock or Bitcoin, let's take Bitcoin. You talked about Bitcoin maybe yeah. in the beginning. Bitcoin has had some really crazy growths over the last, like it defines hockey stick, right? But if you were to do some cr- number crunching on it, its risk factor is also significantly high. So risk and reward and risk and volatility and return go side by side. In fact, there are some very detailed financial metrics which track uh, your risk and volatility and there's a metrics called the sharp ratio which tracks the overall feasibility of a particular stock for you don't need to go into details but there's ways that we can communicate that with you but here's the interesting part there are different asset classes one asset class is large cap stocks one asset class is gold and other precious metals by the way everybody invests in gold we believe there are actually other precious metals that are also equally if not more uh, suitable for your risk profile. So we actually, in our portfolios, we include more than just gold in our in our in our portfolios. So we have different asset classes. But one asset class that we haven't talked about is fixed income. Now, usually, fixed income or bonds are completely interest based, which are a no go for us. But we actually have Sukuk in our portfolios. Sukuk are fixed income instruments that are asset backed. You're not making money on top of money. You're making money on top of uh, an investment like in a real estate or in a lease or many other aspects of Sukuk. So we have different asset classes. Some of them provide higher return, but higher risk. And some of them provide lower risk, but lower returns. And how much of Sukuk we use versus equities we use depends on your risk appetite, depends on your goal duration, depends on a whole variety of factors. So our software creates the optimal distribution of your portfolio, which is comprised of multiple different asset classes, including lower risk Sukuk and higher risk stocks to create something which we feel balances what your risk level is. If you have a goal of two years or three years to buy a car or go for Hutch, you don't want to invest too much in Bitcoin, I promise you that. But if you have a goal of 30 years or 20 years later doing something, buying a house for your parents, whatever it is, you can afford to do a little bit more risk um, uh, acceptance because you have more time to adjust over there. There's many of these heuristics and frameworks. I'm not, by the way, the first one to say this. These are standard. The first day of investment management in your MBA class, they talk about these things. 
So all we're really doing is implementing them with the twist of Islamic faith in this. Well, I mean, this is the thing. I know I'm not asking questions that are specific to your platform. It's more to invest investing generally because, like I said, I, I'm I'm the kind of person right now in my life where the savings that I have are sat in my bank account, and mm-hmm. so I'm I'm trying to think, you know, what should I be doing with that money? Because I know right now the money I have is there, and and what I always what always kind of gets me is is the the, the risk element. Um, and I wouldn't say I'm, I'm necessarily entirely risk averse, but it's, it's also like, I know, you know, when you take on just a little bit of risk, what you're ultimately getting is also just a little bit of return. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's always, it's, they're obviously completely at other, you know, polar ends of the spectrum, right? So the more risk, the more return, um, potentially, but it's, I think that's the difficulty. And like what I'm, what I'm trying to understand is for somebody that is, the kind of person that keeps their money in their bank account or puts their money in the cupboard or under the pillow at home. Um, how, how do you make that shift into kind of investing and understanding? And, and I, I can tell, obviously, you know, part of what you guys do is a little bit of handholding um, and getting people to understand and, and appreciate. But, but I guess just to be clear, this isn't a situation of here's, here's the money, you take the money and then you kind of, just produce financial summaries saying, okay, this is what's happened. There will be an actual understanding of where the money's going, uh, mm-hmm. what kind of, as you said, what kind of portfolios are being invested in. Is that right? That's right. Uh, so so to, that goes back to our financial literacy part. So mm-hmm. even the statement that you just made where risk and return sometimes go at odds with each other and there's like inverse correlation between them. Yeah. How many people would know that? We should tell them that. We have to tell them that in a manner which is understandable and consumable for them. So for example, what we provide is a series of calculators, completely non-obligatory. You can, you can choose to just run some simulations for yourself. And you'll say, you know what? I wanna save $10,000 in four years and I will start with $1,000 and I'll have a recurring deposit of $100, whatever. Now we can run multiple simulations of this and tell you that, hey, if you just put money like Salim does and puts it in his checking account, you will end up at the end of the four years with this much effective value. If you bought gold, just looking at the previous history of gold's return and risk, you will end up with this value. And if you invested with Agaz, based on our projections, which are completely for illustrative purposes only, you will end up with this value. And maybe, inshallah, if you were to do it with Agaz, you ended up actually only putting in $7,000 of your own money over four years, and you ended up with $10,000, which was your goal. That saving of $3,000, you could, that's your money mm-hmm. that you don't have to, you know, overpay, for example. So I think that is the level of financial literacy that we want to provide in a completely consumable fashion. We don't need difficult words or difficult terminology for people to consume it. We just need to provide them in ways that they can understand this is the alternative that we have available for us. One more point about this. One of our yeah. advisors, she is a behavioral finance PhD. So she and I are working on this, it's gonna come soon. It's a a framework for your financial health. So based on your behavioral history, your debt, your loans, your liabilities, assets, goals, things you have to do, your age, many factors, we are creating, and this is a sneak peek of that, we're creating this financial health score for you. So we will say, hey, your score, based on some very simple questions that you are able to answer, 
Like we won't ask you what was your debt to income ratio, which is a very difficult thing for anybody to answer. But yeah. we'll ask you, how much did you pay for your credit card payment last month? Which is much easier for somebody to answer. So we'll create these heuristics and frameworks and we'll say, hey, Salim, you look like a B plus right now and that's great. We can help you get from B plus to A minus if you were to make these A, B and C changes. Mm. And then we can do those changes for you. Because the goal is to help you manage your financial life more, more effectively according to the principles of Islam, but do it while you're doing good. That's our goal. So um, I, I guess the final thing I wanted to ask was, because we've talked about the micro and we've looked at, you know, like a, an individual level, but what's your kind of bigger picture vision with Agaz Invest? Um, again, the, the, I remember the last time we spoke, you were talking about, and you mentioned it a few times today, about the, um, the financial life cycle of an individual and right now it obviously caters for a particular segment of that um but but generally speaking because because everything you've spoken about is about financial literacy ethical and halal investing and and people you know putting their money in the right places where they're comfortable with growing their wealth but is there like a, a bigger picture and vision that you want to achieve with this platform Inshallah, that's exactly the goal, the larger picture. So uh, Dinar Standard did this research. This is like five or six years ago now. I hope there's better data available now. United States is number 33 in the world when it comes to inf infrastructure for Islamic finance. And it's the number one economy in the world. But when it comes to the 7 million Muslims that are in the United States, the infrastructure we have available for them is number 33 in the world. So my larger mission is really to promote scale and grow Islamic finance starting with the United States but really globally. What we want to do it is through culture building, through knowledge base, through literacy, through education, through tools that are available for people. But the larger mission is really manage your financial lives according to your values. And financial life is all the way when you got your first pocket money, all the way through to when you passed on and in your, your inheritors took over your estate. All aspects of that, we want to help you manage your financial lives in a manner that's aligned with your faith, with your beliefs, with the causes that are important to you. What we are doing today is a step in the right direction, inshallah, but it's just a step. There's many more, many more things we need to do, many more learnings we need to do, many more uh, customers we need to learn from, but we are starting this journey with this larger goal that in this generation, we want to promote Islamic finance through the modern technology. I'll give you this example. There's this professor at Tufts who wrote this really wonderful book about Islamic finance. And he mentioned that there have been three phases of Islamic finance in the world. And we don't have to go into detail. It's a very, very interesting topic. I believe and I posit that we are now in the fourth phase of Islamic finance. The fourth phase of Islamic finance is not where fintech was a website of a bank. That's how people thought about fintech. Now we are using modern automation, completely state-of-the-art frameworks that are taught in the top business schools of the world. And we are automating them with the best technology expertise you can develop at the top corporations in the world. And we are marrying all of that together to create disrupting tools so that Islamic finance can scale and grow. What those tools are, how long it takes us to get there? Is it more than my own lifetime? All well and good. But that's the journey. That's the contribution we want to do towards my faith, 
my belief system. And that's the legacy that we all want to leave. No, inshallah, I think that sounds really good. I, I, I think, um, like I was saying, this is one of those things where I have this conversation quite a lot. Um, I've, I've reached that age in my life and, and with my friends where we're married, we've got kids and we're thinking about the future. And, and like you said, it's interesting because when you talk about it as like a financial life cycle, um, going from being a kid, receiving pocket money, money from aunts and uncles at Eid time. And I remember, you know, you always had like, at least here, <laughs> you get like loads of five pound and 10 pound notes and, and you've got like a hundred pounds and you feel like an absolute baller. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you kind of save that up and then you go and buy something and whatever else going from all the way there and like understanding very early on the principles of money and, and the value of money at that age to then getting your first job and, and then starting to understand tax and all of these things and, and whatever else. I think, you know, now I'm, as I said, like I'm, I'm still contemplating and exploring and looking at the potential of investments and investing and, and what how that might work for myself. But I, I feel fundamentally that there is this, this very desperate and important need for um, financial literacy. Um, and so understanding, and I remember it, it, it's interesting because it's quite a vivid memory when I was at school, we had this one week or two weeks where in our maths class, our teacher got us to invest in stocks. So he gave us the newspaper and he said, okay, pick some stocks, you all have a hundred pounds each. And we didn't put actual money in it, obviously, but it was just, let's see who's goes up and who's goes down. And just understanding how trading on a very basic level works. That's something that you, you know, people need to start understanding. It's the reality of, of, of uh, the, the financial world that we live in. And what's interesting, at least what I've seen, is that post kind of university, you have people that go in very different directions. Some people get into finance, work in the city, work in the corporate sector, and it's kind of, it's, it's their whole world. And other people that get into kind of other avenues are just completely alien to it and, and don't really indulge and don't get into it. And then slowly over time, you'll see that people, be they doctors or dentists or whatever, um, slowly start coming around and, and then looking at investing. Because once you have money, you're thinking, right, what do I do with it? Right. But ultimately, I, I feel like there is this need for general upliftment in, in literacy. And, and, and it seems like, as you said, you know, with the advent of technology, and I think it's really interesting what you were saying at the end just now about the, the kind of the time that we're in is that we're, we're disrupting with technology and we're innovating and kind of creating this new world of, of uh, Islamic finance that has never been seen before. And like you said, right, you know, Islamic finance has been a thing. There's been Islamic banks for years, but just now, in the last, I would say, five years, at least as long as I've been running the Muslim Vibe, I've seen so many different companies coming into this space and offering genuine products that didn't exist before that offer something completely different for Muslims. Um, and, and finally, like you said, finally something that aligns with our values, that's ethical, that's halal, um, and, and offers us a genuine alternative without having to kind of go through everything that you did, you know, with speaking to banks and saying, I don't want interest. Can you take this off and everything else? So it's, you know, like, I think Alhamdulillah is, is my kind of overwhelming sentiment when I think about that, because we're finally at that stage where there are options on the table. Um, and obviously, Agha's Invest, sorry, is one of them. Um, you mentioned that, that, I guess just at the final clarification, you mentioned that you're currently live in the US, yeah. um, but you're still kind of expanding into other countries. Do you have plans to come to the UK? Inshallah. Is that uh, like one month, inshallah, or a 
We'll see what happens, uh, inshallah. <laughs> it's definitely, it's neither. It's not a we'll see what happens, inshallah. Which people tend to do a lot of actually these days. It's not yeah, a one month. That's why I have to clarify. <laughs> no, we are actually, uh, we are, uh, without going into too much premature detail, we are discussing with several parties in the UK okay. for potential partnership opportunities um, and other places in the world, actually. But our focus is do one thing, one thing at a time, do it well, and then scale, inshallah, from there. But I would be happy if we are in the uk within the next within 2021 as a calendar year inshallah let's see how it goes but thank you very much for your time today i really enjoyed the conversation um and, and all the best i guess with the platform and, and and hopefully you know more financial literacy for people investment opportunities that are halal and ethical and aligned with um their own values so thank you for the service the service that you guys are providing as well I, I appreciate you having me here. Thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, it's just, we are contributing in our small little manner towards this larger mission, which is bigger than us. That's how we feel. So, thank, thank you. So that was my conversation with Koram from Argaz Invest. I think it's, um, it's actually really great to see that people are using technology um, to create solutions for Muslims and, 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 and I guess, catering for halal and ethical needs when it comes to looking at the whole realm of of investing and, and finance it's something like i mentioned on the podcast it's something that i personally am currently looking into um and it's it's nice that there are so many more options out there than there were previously previously it was well i don't think there was anything um the last few years we've, we've seen quite a, a spike in companies like Agaz invest and, and and it's great I think because it can only lead to um, more financial literacy and understanding and and avenues that people can invest in uh, in a way that they've you know they feel comfortable with and is Sharia compliant. Um, but yeah, that I guess uh, concludes another TMB podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube and also wherever you get your podcasts on the the audio side of things. And we'll be back next week with another great guest, inshallah, and more great content. Take care.